Hello and welcome to Bitpicking, a podcast about software engineering. I'm Laura. I'm Greg. Hi, Laura. Hi, Greg. And we've got no Mark this week because he's in the lovely Wales and having a lovely <laughs> holiday, we hope. Today we welcome Steve Wright to the podcast, not the Radio 2 DJ, um, somebody with a much better voice. He's a director at Spectrum IT, uh, the recruitment agency based on the South Coast. And we're going to talk about recruiters and candidates and CVs and basically everything to do with finding a job. Let's go. All right, we're pleased to welcome Steve Wright to the Bitpicking podcast. Hi, Steve. Hi, Greg. Uh, thanks for joining us. Well, we're pleased to have you on and we're going to sort of talk to you about recruitment from the other side. Um, I think Laura and I have both, um, you know, we both have experience in using recruiters um, in seeking candidates. So it's been quite interesting to hear um, the sort of other side um, um, across the talk today. So maybe Steve, we could start and you could just describe how you got into recruitment and just a little bit of your background. That might be a good, good starting place. Cool. Yeah, um, it's quite a common story, actually, um, my route into recruitment. I think um, you speak to many recruitment consultants and, and they'll agree that it's recruitment isn't necessarily their first choice of industry when you're um, um, getting into employment. I, I studied business information technology at university, so I vaguely had a, okay. an IT appreciation. Um, and actually, the, the, the company Spectrum IT, the Spectrum comes from the Spectrum 48K um, oh, is that right? From way back in the day. So, um, me and me, uh, <laughs> I didn't uh, realize that. Owner, uh, yeah, kind of share the, uh, uh, I mean, we're, we're of that age. You can probably work out now. Um, yeah, so I kind of, um, I left university and I went to London on a, on a graduate um, training program for a pre sales consultant in telecommunications, which okay. lasted about 18 months. Um, and then I realized that telecommunications wasn't really exciting me as a sector, but I'd built up a, um, a level of understanding of um, networking and IT um, from sort of data connectivity solutions that we were selling as a company. Um, and then I was um, encouraged to move into recruitment, um, initially in finance. Um, right, okay. So I did for about eight months and found painfully boring. <laughs> um, and it just wasn't the right sector for me. So. Um, um, then came a move into um, IT recruitment for a multinational um, right, okay. IT recruitment agency, global, multinational, big, um, uh, very successful company, very sales orientated, very sales driven company, um, but good training and good good grounding in um, IT and tech recruitment. So they you start with a uh, recruitment training academy and they show you the ropes and that was a much better introduction to recruitment than my initial foray. Um, into it. I've got. I've, I've already got images of that. Um, <laughs> that what's that movie where the guy he thumps his chest? Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. That's yeah. it. I've got like the recruitment version of that where you're all in some yeah. swanky London hotel, like you know. Yeah, yeah we could do this. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the kind of early two thousands recruit uh, London recruitment entity. It, it was not. To that extreme but it was very testosterone driven really? yeah okay yeah it's good fun when you're in your 20s and um, <laughs> yeah. a good laugh but uh where we are now as a business and what i perceive to be good recruitment and good recruitment practice was was, was quite different to, uh, to to what it potentially looked like for quite a lot of people back in the day and i think that's where a lot of the reputation for recruitment comes from so a long might. so a long tenure then a lot of experience so um, and so you've been with Spectrum from yeah. the beginning. You were you were explaining earlier. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Spe so, so Spectrum's been going for how long? Twelve years. Twelve years. This year, yeah. Um, Two thousand and eight, we started. So um, three months before the financial crash, um, but with three people in a tiny little box room on in the centre of Southampton, um, it didn't impact us massively in terms of overheads. We certainly didn't kind of launch into recruitment as quickly as we thought it was going to be because prior to the financial um, crisis 2008 the recruitment industry was booming um, and three of us from um, the same company essentially went solo and um, set up by ourselves okay um, taking those 
some of the principles from the um, early recruitment model that, um, that I described earlier, um, taking out the, um, some of the antics and, and, and the, the, the bad elements of it, the real KPI sales-driven elements of it, re- replacing those with a service-driven approach um, okay. to recruitment. And that's kind of what our foundations were as a company. Um, there was a... So would you, would you say that was unusual at the time then? To, to, um, to change that kind of um, uh, that that business model for recruiters, it was becoming the way of doing things. So it wasn't completely. It wasn't a groundbreaking idea. Um, we weren't rev- revolutionising recruitment, but we were um, part of a, a movement of people and companies that were looking at the best parts of it, realising that this is a very important and useful service okay. um, yeah. uh, and role, and turning it into something bit more service driven okay i wouldn't say professional and because it there were there, there were still very good parts of um that business and and recruitment um in in practice at the time but um we wanted to to make it less about kpi kpi driven sales and more about service so you mentioned you mentioned there that you've been through one crash yeah um which you know it's quite a while ago but um i mean one i think both laura and i had a similar question to ask which is What's been happening in recruitment for, um, or in response to the pandemic, the coronavirus yeah. pandemic? How how has it changed from, let's say, January, February, to now? You know, what, what's been the impact to to you? Well, it's a, it's a massive impact um, on demand. Okay. Um, on the demand for employment in the sector. Um, we're talking. 60-70% downturn in demand for um, for people. Okay. Um, a good sort of bit of data based on um, uh, the volume of vacancies that we were managing as a company. We, we'd advertise anything from say 160 to 180 vacancies at any one time. Okay. Um, and then during the lockdown and the height of the um, slowdown of, of, of demand was down to about 50. Oh wow. And that, and that was because people were pulling their ads. They were they were yeah. calling up and saying that yeah. we, you know, we're, we're just not going to fulfil that role anymore. Absolutely, yeah. Um, a lot of our customers, um, software and technology vendors, are building solutions for third-party customers, um, and those customers put their projects on hold. Yeah, costs them um, the X amount to to deliver the services or the products. Some of the projects hadn't started, so they were delayed. Um, some were, were midway but couldn't afford to complete. So there was just a lot of um, work that stopped. But at the same time, do you see there's people reaching out to you who've lost their jobs? Do you see there's more incoming than, um, you know, people who want, want employment because they've made, been made redundant maybe or lost their jobs? In terms of an influx of people, absolutely, yeah. So exactly the same thing happened in 2008. You kind of have that initial, um, almost everything freezes and no one's too sure what to do. Yeah. Um, and then once the impact of it is realised and, and projects get put on hold, then you, the companies realise that they can't um, afford to keep running the business operation at full capacity. I mean, the furlough scheme was a fantastic mechanism for preserving a lot of those um, uh, job vacancies, those job roles. Um, and we'll wait to see whether they can be fully resurrected. Um, but a lot of companies quite quickly realised that they'd probably never get back to um, the level of output and productivity that they, they had before. Um, so, so yeah, um, I mean, you've seen in the press the statistics on redundancies in the last couple of days, um, and they're pretty mega. Yeah, they're big, aren't they? Yeah, and I guess you're seeing a lot more remote roles come through as well. I don't know yeah. how you handle that, if that's different. Yeah, so it, it is different to handle. Um, but it's um, I mean, it, it's created a very interesting um, recruitment sort of environment or um, opportunity, if you like. Um, if we rewind to January, February, and the last five years or more um, leading up to that, um, demand for um, IT professionals was just increasing, increasing, increasing. Um, 
and the ability for companies to recruit niche technical skills was becoming more and more challenging. Mm. Um, and a big part of that was the geographical placement of people. Um, yeah. If you're a company with an office based in Southampton, Bournemouth, South Coast, um, which, which historically was, was one, of our, one of our primary markets, 50% of your population is lost to the sea. Yeah. So you've got a smaller proportion of people that you can recruit into those, into those areas. Amazingly, it's, it's an affluent area for IT professionals and, and commerce in general, which um, um, is fantastic. Um, but it may, makes it very challenging to recruit. So you either have to encourage people to move here, etc. Um, but what this um, situation has done is force upon companies remote working, work from yeah. home, much more flexible ways of working, which in all honesty, they were very reluctant to do. A lot of companies were, were reluctant to do that previously, mm. worried about productivity, performance, managing people, etc. Um, but their hand was forced and the result of it is it, they've seen that it works. Yeah, the perceptions have really changed, I think, haven't they? And it is opening it up to a wider landscape because it's funny you say that about losing people to the sea, (laughs) essentially, because we're we're recruiting where I work and we had the same conversation where the radius we're looking for of people who could potentially work for us is sort of halved, uh, you know, if you live near the sea. It's, (laughs) yeah, frustrating, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And if you think of Dorset, Bournemouth, Paul, you're on the outer stretch is going to sound terrible outer stretches of civilization on yes. the further west you go and then there's this a huge lull uh, yeah. until you get until you get to say what plymouth yeah big gaps isn't the big yeah. rural gaps yeah yeah. yeah yeah we i mean we've gone through what you just described steve with not really being into remote working um being forced into it and now um really embracing it and saying right okay this is really a model we want to sort of yeah. stick with and one good argument that I hadn't really considered myself but um, until we spoke about it a few days ago was it really helps with growth because if we have growth plans yeah. um, one of the aspects of that I mean something I've actually went through many years ago is where do you put those new people um, and then you're looking at either relocating yeah. or getting a second office and that kind of stuff whereas now we you know you can run some sort of ratios and realize like oh well actually if most of my or some of my team is remote at any one time, then I don't need as much space. So it sort of helps with that, um, with those plans. So Definitely. There's some major benefits to it. Um, Size and scale of of operation, um, niche technical skills that ordinarily aren't um, affiliated with a a particular area. So Mm -hmm. London um, dominates innovative technology and Everybody historically would, would think they need to go there to work on the latest cutting edge projects and yeah. uh, any obscure but very useful technology gets centered around a, a major city. Um, that doesn't, that's not the case anymore. So companies that felt restricted even by technology because of their geographical location, now that barrier is now removed. Yeah. I suppose we might hit another challenge though, that if the people who are in London, you know, start, um, taking remote jobs outside of London, then there's quite a big salary disparity there, I guess. Yeah. And I saw, I think I saw something on Twitter the other day about that. And it was a, a debate about whether you should pay someone um, equivalent to where they live versus what, you know, like some standard for the role. And I think they were using Facebook as, as an example. I saw this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I didn't actually delve into it, so maybe, Laura, you've got the, the ending, but the, <laughs> the premise was if you work as an engineer at Facebook and live in, I don't know, I don't know any sort of cheap American cities, but a cheap American city, you know, you could um, earn half as much as someone else, but actually have a much sort of richer yeah. life. Yeah. I think it was something to do with, yeah, when they were in San Francisco, locking down San Francisco, and they started to to say, we can pay you differently because you're... Like remotely located or something was that was that the scandal? I can't remember. Not sure. Maybe it came out of that, but it's it is an interesting concept, isn't it? You know, the the whole salary thing. So I'm wondering, Steve, what's you know how how are candidates that you're talking to you know uh, approaching this in terms of what they expect? Do do they adjust their expectations if it's a remote role, or is it very really interesting one, driven primarily by the person's situation. Okay. You've got two main camps of people right now. You've got those that 
um, are forcing forced into having to look for new opportunities. Okay. And those that are comfortable and and safe, stable in their current role, and are choosing to look for new opportunities, and that that element more so drives their um, uh, expectations from a new role. Um, those that are being made redundant, um, or there's risk of redundancy, are generally more open and flexible to yeah. the next role and what it might look like. Um, but if we um, if we look at those that have the option. Um, unfortunately that is still the majority um, then there's a route there's a um, there's three or four main areas that they'll look for in a job role salary is always one of the top three yeah. um, technology and company profile um, are very important and the third one was always location right okay in, in whichever order you choose to kind of put those three or four um, criteria. So take location out of that and suddenly you've got, as you say, this disparity in salary. So Dorset, for example, where you're from, yeah. historically is a, a lower salary um, than, or clearly London, but even Southampton. Oh, I need to I need to get my car out. Oh no, I don't because I can go remote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and there's just with the exception of some companies and organizations the likes of JP Morgan and the larger financial um, companies have got the clout to um, to back um, their offers financially um, but the majority of companies um, there's quite a, quite a difference financially really with London being the uh, the ultimate um, uh, disparate company for for money it's quite interesting I mean I've, I've worked in for companies in Salisbury and um, now in Romsey. And certainly the Salisbury one was interesting because we were competing with London because Salisbury to London is a, is commutable. Yeah. Um, you know, because mm -hmm. there's a direct train and I don't, I can't remember how long it was, but it wasn't that. And we were even competing with Bristol and Bath, which are again, much bigger than Salisbury because of the, the trains and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah. that was really hard to recruit. Um, because the people that we had access to, you know, we were trying to compete with either London um, salaries or, you know, Bath and Bristol companies, which were traditionally cooler because it's, you know, a, um, a sort of more of a hub. So the location is very interesting and in where you locate your business, you know, um, and I, I would imagine most of the time, if, you know, if not all the time, it's not, it's not that well designed. You just, you just become successful where you started, Yeah. you know, um, so that is a it is a sort of interesting challenge. On a similar note, you mentioned the technical stack there, yeah, as sort of in the top three of a candidate's interests. Um, and a sort of another debate I've had over the years is is a job advert. Maybe we could talk about that for a bit and how to attract candidates. You know, what's your yeah. advice on that? Because I thought, and I learned um, that I'm I'm in the minority with this thought, that if you made a job ad that was quite broad. And you just said, look, we're, you know, you, you say we're a really cool company. We, we do all of this stuff. We're really cool. You get to work on loads of interesting things and you, and you're not that specific about what, you know, your tech stack is or what the role is, that that would be more interesting to people. But the resounding feedback I got when I spoke to some developers about it was no, I would, I would just skip over that ad. It may be a great company and it may be a great role for me, but unless the advert said, it's with these stack and this stack and it's with these yeah. technologies and that kind of stuff. I just wouldn't entertain it. And I was oh, really surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I'd be more inclined to put out a job ad that's broad just so that you get, cause you never know if people are going to call themselves the same thing as well yeah. that, you know, you're calling them. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Steve, and how to craft the yeah. ideal. <laughs> <laughs> there's it's really difficult there is no such thing as the ideal job advert because as you can imagine every, everybody even you two thinking about how you would write an advert will interpret it in different ways um or you both think that the, the broad nature of an advert would appeal to people whereas you're saying that, that other people are saying they want it more specific so it's really difficult um you end up trying to be fairly creative with write, writing accurate content that will appeal to um, the candidate. Um, I've actually been on a copywriting course for recruitment advertising. Oh. Uh, 
and it was fairly um, left field thinking, um, making your advert really alternative to make it stand out. Yeah. Your opening statement is perhaps something controversial or a question or something vaguely on topic, but um, just to catch the, the, the person's attention and right, okay. them read the rest of, rest of yeah. the advert. Yeah. yeah, they're quite formulaic otherwise, aren't they? They're quite, they all follow a pattern and a template and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we try and sit somewhere in the middle. We'll try and create something that is appealing and, and hits the touch points that um, people are interested in. Um, but in the main, they do, uh, the audience does want to see some, something specific and tech stack process, methodology, um, everyone likes, most IT professionals like modern thinking organizations. Yeah. So if your advert promotes a modern way of thinking, new technologies, new process, um, cloud-based technologies, for example, if you use some, some scenarios from the current um, uh, demand sectors, um, then it will appeal. Get more, get more interested. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the other sort of example I have of this, um, which makes me think um, that, that the, um, like in the supply and demand model, that the power is really on the, uh, the candidates. And I think it has been for a while because every time I've tried to recruit, I found that developers can um, be very, very specific about what they are and are not yeah. interested in. Um, and I wonder if that's a shift that you've seen as well. And so the sort of example that I've been wheeling out for the last five years is when I, I tried to recruit some um, app developers and I thought, you know, similar sort of thread. I thought I could just say, well, I want an app developer. You know, we've got an Android app and an iOS app and et cetera. Um, and um, I couldn't find anyone because it was like, well, no, you've either got to be all Android or all iOS. Yeah. Um, and so we had to then change our model because at the time we only had budget for one person. Yeah, um, but we couldn't find anyone who you know could do or was happy to do both. I mean, I'm sure everyone could do both if they wanted to. But like I said, there seemed to be this kind of, well, I, I can be just one thing, and I, I think now maybe there's probably another set. I think app development's done its thing, but now it may be something else. Like, well, I don't, I, I can perfectly, um, I can have a perfectly good career if I only know JavaScript and the relevant frameworks yeah. around that, and therefore if there's a job which requires me to know a bit of Python or a bit of Ruby or whatever. You know, I'm not interested. I mean, is that a trend you've seen compared to 12 years ago or even longer where it was a bit more kind of, yeah. you just need a developer? Uh, <laughs> 12 years ago, definitely. I mean, the biggest shift in um, mindset over that time is, is on the candidate side. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right to say that now, certainly prior to um, this pandemic and redundancies, then um, a lot of the control um, and the power was with the candidate because there were so many options available. Right, okay. Um, so the type of people that you were recruiting previously um, are short in supply and very high in demand. Throw into your little cauldron of difficult difficulties with recruitment. You had location, <laughs> yeah. um, competition from other companies, um, etc. And And... A, a location that is not um, synonymous with technology. So psychologically, when you're speaking to a person and they're thinking, right, I'm a um, software developer, I want to enhance my career, progress my career, where do I go? And it was all of the places that you mentioned earlier, other than the town that you were in. <laughs> yeah. London, Bristol, <laughs> uh, Manchester, etc. So yeah, you had a, you had a very difficult task on your hands there. Um, yeah, but it, it's not easy. There's no e easy fix to hiring um, people. Um, but as we keep coming back to the kind of the option of remote working, it, 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 if you embrace it, if companies can can make it work, then it will significantly improve their chances of getting good people. You said earlier then that your scope now as um, as a company is more nationwide. So that, has that been a, in a as a response to all of this stuff? You know, how, how do you yeah. see recruitment 
changing in the future now? Like what's going to stick and what will go back to how it yeah. was? Well, we're at a bit of a crossroads now. We're, we're, we're trying to find it out, basically. Um, it's all very new, what the current way of working and the idea of remote working. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether this is a short-term fix that then doesn't work for companies, whether it sticks and this, this becomes the new norm. Um, so I don't think we've been, do, we've been in this situation long enough to really understand which way it's going to go. Um, but each week, each month, more companies promote um, remote working and work from home opportunities within their business, whether that's two days a week um, in the office, four days a week from home, one day a month in the office. There's yeah. a variety of options out there. Um, so, so I presume all your, all your, all your team are, are working from home now as well. We were terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, it, it, it. I don't know whether it was us as managers trying to enable people to do it or whether it was individuals themselves, but we couldn't find a productive way of working that, that works. And the individuals would agree. Um, collectively, we'd, we'd agree. So we're actually back in the office. Okay. Albeit 80% of us, 90% of us are back in the office. Right. We've still got a handful of people furloughed because the demand isn't quite there for everybody yeah um but yeah it, it didn't necessarily work for us even though we encourage our clients to do it because it will definitely help them it people are uh, uh more disciplined let's say than your recruitment consultant it, i think it's definitely a journey a company has to go on you know we've had to change quite a few systems to allow access we've you know we've funny enough we've had to invest a lot in um infrastructure to to make it work so at the period where you're trying to save cash and you know reduce expenditure and we're having to buy laptops for everyone and things like that so so i mean in the long term it's obviously i say obviously we think it's going to work um and like i said that's our plan now is to is to be a i I don't think we're quite as we're quite there with the whole remote first badge you know that's not going to appear on our literature anytime soon i don't think but we're certainly a remote preferred um, and that's the way we're heading. So. Yeah. Remote preferred is probably quite a good definition of where a lot of companies are at right now. Right. Whether that's short term or long term, that's the bit that I think everyone's trying to yeah. work out. Yeah. I'm interested to know if those companies are changing what they're recruiting for as well. Are they recruiting for different skills? And, and what are the most important ones they're looking for? Nothing's changed really in skills. That's driven by the products that they develop. Mm. Um, and those products are already in place, either fairly mature or um, being built on specification for certain customers. So there's been no major change in the technology demands, although technology is constantly changing anyway. Um, so having worked in recruitment in IT for longer than I can care to remember 15 <laughs> years um, technology has come on such a long way um, and it's constantly evolving and changing so um, I don't think this situation will necessarily drive change in the technologies a company um, uses to build their solutions but it will change the technology they, they use to collaborate and um, drive productivity within the businesses um, I mean prior to February March I've rarely heard of Zoom and MS Teams. Yeah. And now they're the de facto collaboration tools yeah. for most companies. So. And now they're all installed on your laptop and you've got yeah. millions of different things, <laughs> one in your attention all the time, like Teams and Slack. And yeah, yeah I've got the same. <laughs> yeah. I, there is a soft skill angle to it, though, I would expect. Mm. I was just thinking because um, we've just been through some recruitment and and uh, it's quite interesting you mentioned that, Laura, because I, I will say I didn't specifically um, adjust the sort of um, soft skills that I was looking for. Um, and um, I mean, if, uh, I'm confident we've done all right with the outcome that we've got. But that's quite interesting because I, I do have people on my team who are struggling remote working and they want to be in the office with people for a variety of reasons. And some other people who have excelled in it and they're actually much more like happy and productive and all of that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I think that would be something we need to look out for as, as this, you know, working 
mode shifts um, and you know looking for people and and I would imagine then if I was if I was to become a candidate I would probably want to make the most of that and say look I, I play well in remote preferred environments <laughs> you know pick me <laughs> pick me yeah it'll be on everyone's CV now I'm like a remote you know maven really good at it <laughs> a remote ninja 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 remote <laughs> So I'm interested to know how you differentiate yourself from all the the, the negative um, image people have of recruiters and that sort of ruthless um, image that's maybe unfairly been portrayed. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I think the good thing is about sales in general, recruitment being part of that sales industry is that the, the whole industry has softened somewhat from the old-fashioned Wolf of Wall Street style chest beating um, testosterone driven sales that's that's <laughs> softened significantly from, from what I remember of London based recruitment 15 odd years ago um, so the industry's definitely moved on leaps and bounds but there are still plenty of bad practices around and, and some pretty horrendous stories if you speak to enough people and ask around about their experiences of recruitment um, so in some ways it's quite easy and does us a favor, um, because, um, where we drive best practice and we try to do things the right way and we try to, um, embrace a service driven, um, business model, um, by putting the customer first, putting yourself in their shoes, um, and how you would like to be treated as a customer, um, then it drives the, the behaviors and, and performances that we want to see from our consultants and us. Um, but it, it, it is essentially down to people. It's a people industry. It's the individual that's making um, the calls and um, doing the process, doing the recruitment. So it's on their shoulders to, to be honest and um, decent in how they go about doing their work. Um, and weekly we um, experience and um, witness some um, bad recruitment practices and dishonest information being um, shared, um, etc. Um, and it's not surprising that the industry's got a bad reputation, um, but companies like us and plenty of other companies that we know um, are trying to put that right. Um, and the customer now has a lot of, a lot of power, um, a lot of control, um, and there's enough agencies and enough competition that once they've had a bad experience, they'll never go back to that agency. Yeah, that's, that's music to my ears because I work in user experience UX. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's kind of the ethos that, that where I work, that's what, what we sort of tell our clients. And, you know, it's all about the experience that someone has um, yeah. and it has to be a good one. And it's almost like um, it reminds me maybe unfairly of um, car salesmen where it has that bad reputation that actually you get ahead by being different to that and actually providing with someone with a really good experience and um, really good service. Yeah. And yeah. So I totally understand. Yeah. I mean, we've been trading for 12 years and we've had customers from the first week of operating that was that are still customers today. Um, and that doesn't happen if you go in as a cowboy slinging your guns and yeah. um, trying to make quick placements or, um, overcharging or cutting corners and that kind of thing. So um, rec recruitment can be easy if you do it the right way and if you follow the right practices. Um, but if you're out to just turn over high amounts of revenue and make profit, um, then um, it will drive the wrong behaviors in your teams and your consultants. What's what? <clears throat> I, don't know, I don't know how to ask this, but what's the sort of innovation in the recruitment world that's missing? You know, like if we think of what right move did to estate agencies or yeah. tried to do and um, insert other, you know, app based machine learning AI things here. What, I mean, yeah. what's, what's going to happen in recruitment in, in either the near or far future. Is there a, is there anything you're aware of there that would help? So throughout the time I've, been in recruitment, um, there's been constant talk of technology-led recruitment solutions, yeah. um, AI-led recruitment solutions being a more modern um, way of thinking, machine 
learning-based recruitment solutions that removes the um, the person from the equation. It, it automates the process. Um, and we've had those conversations ongoing for as long as I've been in recruitment. Um, the biggest technology shifts um, from when I started um, was probably, it must be 10, eight, 10 years ago with the introduction of job boards, job okay. sites, yeah. jobs, et cetera. Um, and James Kahn was one of the pioneers in that kind of um, area. Um, and at the time it was um, said that recruitment consultants and agencies would soon be um, removed from the recruitment process. We wouldn't be needed. Right, okay. Technology was automating everything and technology was going to be the solution for companies to recruit directly. Um, but when you're recruiting people, you need people. Um, it's the people skills, it's the understanding characters, behaviors, personalities, because that's just a bigger criteria for hiring somebody is finding somebody with the technical skills or the hard skills. Yeah, it's so nuanced, isn't it? And I, I know someone, I have a friend, and it really is a friend who's <laughs> going through the recruitment process. Yeah. And um, they've, um, after speaking to them, it, it's a nightmare going through all the automated systems that, that um, organisations put out. So they have to go through all these stepped processes and, and, and put their CV in and, and fill in loads of things. They said they've already put in their CV into this, this sort of stepped system. And it, it, I totally agree. It has to be like a human process. Um, you know, when people change jobs, it's a really personal upheaval for them. So I, I imagine that, yeah, going with someone like yourself, it's it's going to be so much more personal and easy, you know, to, to understand and answer questions on the fly yeah. rather than just going through like a machine. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you hear the same sort of gripe all the time. No, absolutely, yeah. And people want to know there's somebody a person on their side helping them through the process and giving them advice yeah. and encouragement. And when you've worked with um, a business for several years and you understand the characteristics that they look for in a person, you can share that with the applicant. We can, yeah. can look for characteristics and experience that they can then bring out into a conversation during an interview and highlight where, where they meet those um, requirements or expectations. Yeah, yeah. And there's loads of other competition as well, isn't there? There's like LinkedIn jobs and there's, there's lo like you said, the jobs boards and these yeah. sort of automated jobs boards that you get as well. So I, I guess is that something that you find difficult as well with the, the proliferation of all these different avenues that people can come into a job now? Yes, fortunately, there's, we've got a, a product, um, a bit of software that amalgamates all of the various avenues for bringing people candidates into our organization so we only need to go to one place one bit of software <laughs> to accumulate all of that um, data all of those people and that saves us hours because um, and that's, we've probably only been using it for maybe two three years and prior to that you'd log in individually to each separate entity job board LinkedIn etc to search for people Yes. Oh, wow. It's like under the, uh, under the hood, like behind the scenes. I didn't even know that happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like logistics, though, isn't it? There's now so many middlemen. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're, not, you're never quite sure where your data's uh, going. Um, I, I want someone to do aggregation for car parking apps. Every time I go to a new town, I have to download another app. And I'm like, right, there's an opportunity here. I just want one app <laughs> and it can go and work it out for me. <laughs> and if we could just delete the Just Park app. I've got a personal. Do you not like it? <laughs> Absolutely hate them. <laughs> <laughs> I had a problem with it the other day where they um, the time was out by something like thirty seven minutes, so my parking was off by that much time. Oh, really? It was really weird. Right? Yeah. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of the parking apps because I never ever have change on me. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, true. It does. Yeah, it does solve <laughs> a problem. It saved my life. Well, yeah. saved me a fart at least. The, the, this isn't really an innovation, but um, I remember Mark, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today, but Mark and I used to talk about recruiting a lot because, you know, when you get to a certain position, it's what you sort of do most of your time. And um, we used to talk about whether there could be a, a role for an agent, like an actor's type agent. So if you're a senior developer, I mean, you don't even have to be senior, but if you're a developer, you could go to an agent and get the agent to start pitching you out for jobs 
um, and you know, getting you um, auditions, stroke interviews, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Particularly when it then came to the end where you have to start negotiating on package and salary. Because I think most people find it quite awkward. You know, and how far can you push it? Because if you're certain in a certain position, you don't want to lose the opportunity. And so you don't want to sort of push too hard and they pull the offer and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, you just let's get someone who's an expert at that. An agent who does that. Yeah. You know, and then we can just say, right, I've got the role. Now you go and get the best salary for me and you can take, you know, a 5%, you know, uh, cut or something. I don't know. So do you reckon that would work, Steve? Is there a role for that? You Possibly. Could, you could play you, who, who would you get to be you? But since lockdown and I haven't had my hair cut, I keep being, um, keep being compared to Michael Ball. So if he's available, <laughs> he can be my Hollywood actor. <laughs> awesome. Um, that's, that's our role though as an agency. So when we go back to the, the human elements and not being replaced by automation and so forth, that's a really poignant um, topic for where we add a lot of value to the candidate but, the, but, in, but in my model the candidates paying you whereas whereas in the current model the recruiter paying you. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but, it, but if you think of your typical software developer they're not going to want to get into conversation directly about salary so so they'll take the easy option and probably end up with a salary that isn't what they were ideally looking for they didn't want to challenge it etc um, and I'm confident that quite a lot of placements, companies miss out on quite a lot of candidates because of that sort of scenario playing out and the, and the candidate, the developer or network engineer, whatever they might be, not having the confidence to actually say what they want. Right, okay. They agree to it. It all looks great in the employer's eyes. They've accepted the offer, but actually they're not happy with it. Um, and rather than confront it and deal with it and speak to the company about it, there's another opportunity playing out in the background that does offer them um, the salary or the, the something um, that they, they, they didn't um, bring up with the other company. So they take that option. Okay. Yeah, you could, you could see that happening quite, quite a lot. Yeah. And I've always said, actually, I didn't say this. Someone said it to me um, years and years ago that, you know, if you're offering someone a certain salary and they, we're going to walk away for the sake of, let's say, two grand. You know, if that was the clincher, then, you know, just do it. But yeah. a lot of companies, they have too much bureaucracy or they're too, there's too much pride or something. And it's like, right. no, we set the cap here. You know, and you're like, yeah, but for two grand? I mean, I'm not suggesting that candidates should all, you know, yeah, of course. start negotiating hard or something. Maybe they should. Maybe it would level the playing field a bit. But... Um, it is quite interesting that you think you've got someone through all that process. You think they're, they're absolutely right for your business. And then you're going to get to this point, you know, that's, that's sort of ir somewhat irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, you know, yeah. um, maybe we should, maybe we should invert it. Maybe it should be like some kind of eBay model where you like, you set the salary before you apply, you know, um, <laughs> And or then, like and, a reserve yeah exactly. yeah reserve price yeah i'll only talk to you if you commit to this salary <laughs> well, that maybe would work more i mean it'd be much more efficient wouldn't it <laughs> everything's out before before you get in too deep so you said you have um a technical background so you, you did a bit of technical training do you find it quite difficult um hiring people and and negotiating with organizations when maybe there's like more technical roles i mean do you need to understand it that in depth good question you need to understand um from a high level perspective what the person does within the role um and what the technology is set out to achieve i think if you can understand um the products um how the product is built from a very and we're talking very high level here so um for example, I teach my consultants, if we think about software developers, I'll teach them about the tiers of software development. So brand new consultant, never worked in um, technology recruitment before. Um, first of all, you'd start them on a single discipline of, of recruitment so that they can learn a single discipline rather than exposing them to everything. Um, and then they learn about that discipline. So they'll spend a good couple of days um, and a good amount of hours and time looking into a um, technology discipline and understanding it. So they look at the tiers of development, um, the, the front end, um, user interface, um, the logic, 
um, the data layer. And from a basic perspective, this is what software looks like. Um, so you, you definitely need that level of understanding to go into a conversation and have credibility um, with a candidate, with a software developer or whatever their profession is. Um, you have to build credibility fairly quickly. And if you go in there without that knowledge, then you quite quickly can't come unstuck. Um, but you don't need to be able to build software. You don't need yes, to yeah. code. Um, but it definitely helps. The more you put into understanding what you're recruiting for, the easier it is. Yeah. Um, and the more you can understand um, and empathize with the person you're speaking to and then do a good job, essentially, present the right person to the right company. Um, yeah, so I think it is about credibility, isn't it? Because I think back from my developer days, um, I remember speaking to recruiters and they were saying, coming up with really strange things like really strange acronyms that didn't stand for anything. And, and it does sort of dent your trust yeah. in whether they're actually going to place you somewhere proper or if they're going to know what they're looking for even and yeah I guess it's the same for like the trust the businesses have in you as well whether that you're going to find the right candidate absolutely yeah yeah so it, it the way that we um work in our company is that most consultants resources account managers they're the different sort of job roles they'll focus on a smaller number of smaller variety of job roles um, so they might just recruit for software developers. Um, and within software development, they might just recruit for Microsoft Stack, or they might just recruit for open source. Um, and then they get to know it. Um, and then when they're confident with it and they're working with a single technology or a single discipline of work, they just, the job is so much easier. Um, they can understand what good looks like. Um, and it's not just good and bad, it's just the nuances between a methodology, a process, a technology, a language. Um, there are some development roles that are so similar apart from the logic, the, the, the actual development language. So the, the, you can have an almost identical looking job role that's a Python software engineer, take out the Python and replace it with C++, take out the C++ and replace it with something else. But the fundamentals of the job role are almost identical. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that was my sort of fear, not fear, but, well, it is my fear, but that's what I was referring to earlier in that, um, you know, I, I, as, a, as um, a recruiter, not a recruiter, but someone trying to recruit someone, hiring manager, I wouldn't want to miss out on someone who was prepared to do C++, even if they'd come to you and said, um, you know, I'm looking for a Python role. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And, if they, and if they're in different teams in, in, in the agency, you know, uh, uh, is that candidate going to be aware of my role when they're in a different team that serves a different part of the stack and that kind of stuff? I mean, yeah. I appreciate that, you know, there's some logistics around how to do that. Um, but certainly I've always tried to find people who are, you know, they like to play around a bit because I've found that they're, you know, they're sort of more interested, they're more dynamic, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not sure that's how people recruit these days. You know. Some do, definitely. Um well, I mean, from a candidate perspective, I'm not, you know, I think yeah. people typecast themselves and, and sort of stick within the, you yeah. know, um, whereas, you know, so if anyone ever applies for me, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what your background is. If you're, you know, um, I think there's a lot to be said for good software engineering principles, if you're sticking with development specifically. Um, and if you learn how to build software with, the right principles and the right approach um then you're halfway there yeah yeah quite it's a good point you've made there because of course there is this now fragmentation away from software development and so you know devops is the one that's bringing to mind and maybe that's even old-fashioned now i don't know I'm, I'm maybe out of date but you know that used to be a very dev-centric developer-centric thing and now of course many years later it's now its own thing and yep. certainly you can you could recruit um, for a DevOps person who doesn't know how to program in the, you know, let's say in the traditional sense. Um, and again, that's, a, you know, at least from my experience in, in, in recruiting into a small team where you need people to sort of work in multiple areas, that makes it quite tough because what do I recruit for? A developer who wants to learn a bit of DevOps or a DevOps person who has a background in development and what do they want and what's their intentions in the future, you know? Yeah, and the latter part of that is a, a critical bit because a developer is probably more open to learning DevOps and evolving their skills than a DevOps specialist would be 
to learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe we've 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 gone on for a bit. So maybe we should start wrapping up. And um, I think our listeners would be quite interested in maybe some advice. Um, and I'm sure we have listeners on both sides of the of the sort of fence. So I don't know, Steve, if you've got any tips for uh, hiring managers and you know maybe some gripes and things that you've you know you've got a little platform now to say stop doing this it really makes my job hard <laughs> or do this and you'll have much more success i don't know if you've got anything like go on uh, the content writing course <laughs> content writing yeah okay. the, the, the do this part would be work with us that's that's a good start um you can pay me but, later yeah that's great that's great <laughs> um, um but it's um good to understand that there is no um single magical answer to recruitment um, but if you're working with a recruitment agency um, choosing the right agency and doing some due diligence on the agency is really really important um, we it still happens now and it's happened for the whole 12 years that we're doing recruitment we'll join uh, we'll start working with a new um, customer they're recruiting for a set of skills and they've been using agencies and they've been trying to recruit for three months um, and you speak to them about how they've got to where they are and how they chose the agencies. Um, and it was all very random. Um, and the agency were calling us, they seemed really keen, etc. cetera. Um, but quite simply, if you look at what the, an agency is advertising, um, the locations and the job roles and the disciplines um, of, of their area, that, that'll tell you their area of specialization. That's where they're, they're investing their time searching for candidates. and. Um, and they give you an idea of their knowledge of candidates. So a really useful thing to do for anybody trying to recruit is look for um, agencies. I, historically, I'd say in your area, but that is now kind of um, changing slightly, but uh, we're not fully there yet. So I'd still say look for agencies in your area advertising job roles that you're trying to recruit for. Very simple, but very easily overlooked in favor of somebody called me and they sounded really good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then for candidates what's your sort of top tip um top tip for candidates is be honest work work with a recruitment agency that you feel is credible and, and again that are advertising the job roles that you're interested in um, and make sure that they're advertising multiple job roles that you're interested in so then you only have to deal with one agency um if you apply to five different jobs with five different agencies you have to deal with five different people in five different processes plus the hiring managers. So it does become a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Um, there should be agencies out there like us that are advertising um, multiple roles with the skill set that, that you have. So we can um, put you in front of several companies. Um, another really good bit of advice for candidates is spend time working on your CV. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and your online digital profile. In the very least, okay. yeah. very least make sure they match <laughs> yeah. i was gonna say do you see like yeah wild differences um where they've sort of pumped up the cv but forgotten about what not else so is much. left on like linkedin or <laughs> exactly not so much anymore but when linkedin first became a much more recruitment um centric website maybe five years ago it was it was rife yeah. and, and the linkedin profile versus the CV. It was it was things like academic studies, grades, um, years of study, um, amount of time spent in a role, and there's a six month gap where you actually went somewhere else, but you didn't put it on your CV. And that's yeah. yeah. These and inconsistencies. Yeah. They just. They, it doesn't take a lot, does it, for it to shake someone's confidence in whether you're being truthful or not? So yeah. Absolutely. Sage yeah. advice there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they they were all quite proactive. Um, Things. So maybe Laura, you and I should take the uh, the stop doing. So my recruiter stop doing is the um, the cold assumptive close email. If if you do that, you're in the trash straight away. So when you know if you're trying to get in contact with me and, and you sort of give me the nice oh hi Greg, you know how you doing blah 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 blah, you know, and then end it with a you know um, um, can we have a call on Tuesday? I mean I can't even phrase it. It's so beyond my normal like way of talking but I think most people know there's just the way that they they do this end of the email that basically makes me feel like they've committed me to doing something for them <laughs> so I'm sure it's very clever in a neuro-linguistic programming sense but it doesn't work on me and if you do that I'm closing it if you try and like assume I'm going to do something <laughs> delete 
You might think twice about um, airing this because you, you told them that you've read to the end of their email. That will encourage them. Ah, Steve knows. <laughs> He's a pro at this. Experience. Now, so. I think now I just look for it. I'm just like, right, yeah, I'm going to read the, the TLDR, get right yeah. to the end. How have they closed What's it What's the sign off? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what annoys me is best. Don't, don't send me an email with best at the end. Just best. Just not bothered to type best wishes. That's just, <laughs> that's just rude. And then my, um, my candidate um, don't stop doing is, is, I agree, it's the CV thing. Because it's the one window we have before a phone call. And, and at least for me, I'm very, very open to having a phone call. So, um, yeah, if your CV has, like, I'm not fickle, but it is, like Laura says, I, I do feel it's sometimes quite easy to find a hole on a CV. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd say put, put more attention into that. Yeah. I think with that, um, historically, there's been this um, mindset of my CV must be no longer than two pages. As an agency, we'll say three pages is okay. With you on the other side reviewing those, CVs, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I I strongly prefer one pages because one page. yeah, one pages because wow. I'm like I said, I'm quite happy to call someone. Like I, I can find fifteen minutes to sort of fill in the gaps, so I'm yeah. I'm. I much prefer that um, than having to wade through. I mean, it's not wade through. You're, you're absolutely right. Three pages is not a big deal. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd rather so. Uh, so oh, mine, oh, mine, oh, is oh, a, oh. mine is a one pager, and it's yeah. it's served me well. Yeah. I think from my research perspective, the more data, the better. <laughs> I absolutely love a long CV. <laughs> it's like a story. I mean, this is the this is the trouble, though, isn't it? Because yeah, as, a, as a candidate, how the f- do you know? Exactly, oh, <laughs> deal with people yeah. like us. <laughs> yeah. So how do you know that if you, that if I'm at the end of it, you know, I'm gonna ex- like one thing, and if you're mm. at the end of it, Laura, you'll like another. So, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? No, <laughs> I, pre- I prefer no six pages. is definitely too long. So yeah. <laughs> nobody six pages. <laughs> I just prefer the talking because then I think I can get a. F- feel for it yeah always yeah well in fact we didn't put hiring managers in the what to do better type bucket so what should we do how can we help you steve um don't reject don't be too critical of cvs so i know i've just said write a candidate write a good cv etc um but there are perfectly good and reasonable cvs that get rejected for the wrong reasons and for fairly um uh, some people reviewing cvs some hiring managers are really brutal when it comes to um, reviewing a cv and they'll read one thing and that will drive the narrative on the whole cv um, right, and this okay. person isn't interested in developing their career because they haven't mentioned x y or z or okay. or something quite um, um left field whereas your mindset of if they look interesting there's enough in the CV to, to warrant a conversation, then that's where I'll do the, the majority of my screening. Yeah. Um, and that might be a 15, 20 minute sanity phone call, sanity check, um, just to read through any questions, queries that you've got, talk about the bits you liked, and then you can put your kind of queries into that conversation to find out whether they're yeah. justified. I get it when you're really busy and you've got multiple things you're trying to do at any one time and you're the hiring manager and it all sits on your shoulders and it is daunting. But if you can set some time aside to, to do it and, and go in to reviewing CVs with a, with a fairly open mind and, a, and yes, be critical, but not overly critical, then you've got a much yeah. better chance getting somebody good. They don't need to be perfect on paper. Fair comment. I'd also add that I think as hiring managers, we should... Um we should, if particularly at later stages, make the effort to give a, a decent rejection letter. <laughs> not, a le- not a physical letter, but the, the biggest complaint I hear from um, the meetups or the communities I'm in is um, when they apply for a job and they don't hear anything back or they get the generic, um, you know, just a mail merge type response. Yeah. So I've always made it a thing that I want to give, you know, 
honest and clear feedback. So I, yeah. always, I always try to do that. But that means I, I, maybe I drift into what you're saying, Steve, where I'll pick something, you know, what was it on Friends with Chandler's eye gloop? It'll be that. that thing. That's a reference for all the kids. <laughs> for the, the kids, <laughs> the old kids. <laughs> but yeah, I think that is a real peeve, isn't it? Because that feels like a bridge well and truly burned that they'll think, oh, I've dodged a bullet there because they don't care. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's really important, isn't it, not to burn that bridge. And, and I, refu- I refuse to believe that in bigger companies that have dedicated HR departments, that yeah. hiring, manager- hiring managers are so bloody busy, they can't possibly reply individually. Come on. <laughs> it's got to your desk. You can spend five minutes writing a reply, you know. Yeah. Pull your finger yeah. out. Five minutes is plenty as well. I mean, a lot of the time you, you, can, you can hit that reply in a minute, 30 seconds, and yeah. it's a high-level one-liner two-liner perhaps this person was unsuccessful because da, da, da. yeah um, yeah and that's all the person needs and that helps them with their um, understanding closure etc yeah all right well i think that's been very interesting thank you steve no problem thanks, thanks for having me no problem and um we'll put a link in the show notes if anyone wants to uh, talk to Steve for any of their own opportunities um, otherwise thank you very much and goodbye bye, bye Greg thank you bye Steve bye. close the window because halfway through a moth hit me in the head did you see me go like literally try not to scream (laughs) 